are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Scott Spray Custom Rods. Scott Spray has been crafting fine, hand-built fishing rods since 2010. He specializes in fly rods, but will custom build almost any rod to fit almost any need. Both Nick and I own custom rods built by Scott, and personally, I can tell you the two that I own are not only fantastic performers, but they look amazing as well. Now, Scott also offers different products on his new website, from the aforementioned custom-made fly rods to hand-cut wildlife license plates and even wall-hanging art. If you don't see what you want on his site, reach out to Scott, and he will be more than willing to work through the process with you. He is always willing to answer any questions you may have about ordering your custom rod, and even novice fly fishermen will find it easy to get exactly what they want in their custom-made fly rod. And once he begins production on your custom rod, Scott will even keep you updated with the full progress using photographs and email communications. So be sure to visit Scott today at www.ssprayrods.com or reach out to him at carpflyfisher at gmail.com. Now on to the show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Excitement, Nick View. Before we get started, just a few housekeeping items. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. So if you subscribe, you won't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It means a lot for us to hear from you and know that you are enjoying the show. And it keeps us motivated to find new and exciting guests and content to share with you. So uh, for those that have already left us a review, thank you so much for your support. And if you haven't, please head out and do so today. Um, now, with all that said, good evening, Nick. Today's your birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, man. I, is that why I have the name Mister Excitement now? You know what? It just it <laughs> it just it just popped into my mind. So that's what you got for today. It's your birthday. Yeah. You're Mister Excitement now. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what I'll be calling you tomorrow? So take what you well, get. Well, you called me a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, no, yeah, it's uh, 37 years old today, and uh, I decided to take the day off and. Um, kind of slow and i had a lot of vacation time so i was like i'm taking a day off and got in the woods this morning and you know of course it's the day after rifle season here in michigan and i went out to a spot i haven't been to in about three four weeks now and i'm like i you know i didn't expect much out of it And there was four tree stands up around the same swamp <laughs> within 50 within 50 acres wow <laughs> or no not now i mean 50 yards not acres and i was like wow either this guy has the same as <laughs> every wind direction covered or it's four different dudes <laughs> so and then i was walking out and i saw another one and i was like well i guess i won't be coming back here i didn't stay in very long but and is that is uh, that bow only uh no it's it's not okay they, they those were all i i'm i'm they were they were putting them up the day before rifle season started. Gotcha. The last time I was in the woods, and I just kept driving because I was like, I'm not even going in there. I know what they're doing because they, they were getting in right before dark and putting stands up. And uh, I know those were all rifle stands. Um, and black powder starts Friday, so I'm I'm assuming they all left their stuff up. I got you. So you know, but anyway, we have like a couple days there of archery, and uh, man, there was nothing moving, just nothing at all. And, uh, 
you know, it was snowing. It was a nice morning. It was good to get out for a couple hours. Uh, it was cold, but uh, other than that, you know, I I kind of just uh, kind of just had a day, rode a little bit, and and hung out and waited to do this, and yeah. So that's well, kind of what's going on going on with me. What about you? Well, good deal. I'm I I would love to see some snow. To be perfectly honest, I last week <sighs> you're nuts. Last well, so you got to hear me out. So you know, right. last week. Starting about 4 a.m. Saturday morning, it started raining. It rained all day, and I don't mean light rain. I mean just pouring rain all day Saturday, well into Saturday night. Um, Sunday morning, same thing. I did finally manage to get out for a few hours Sunday afternoon. Um, Been pretty nice all week. Of course, you know, I have to work, so, yeah, it's gorgeous weather during the week, and we've got another front coming in that's supposed to dump rain all weekend long, so... Um, yeah, I'd love okay, to, I like, can get out and hunt in snow. It's just impossible to sit in rain. I'll, I'll change my statement because I would much rather have snow than right. rain. I, I don't, I don't dig, I mean, cause we've had wet falls here for the last few years and I'm just, I'm over that. So you've had enough rain. I know that we've, we had enough rain. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> well, that's good. Man. I'm over it, but, uh, I know you've, 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 you've had enough cold weather so far. You, you ready to start shifting gears a little bit and start mixing some fishing back into the show? Man, I've wanted to get back into fishing for a while now. I miss the river. So, yeah, this is a, this is a breath of fresh air from all the grind we've had for hunting, which, now that it was bad, but it was a grind. Yeah, so, so well, let's jump in and, and give a big welcome, welcome to our guest. Uh, I know we talked about it before the show, and I'm still going to try my best not to not to butcher it. How you doing, Mr. Jim Dusias? Perfect. <laughs> Great pronunciation. Well done. Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Good. Good, good. good. Winning winning from the pronunciation. So now <laughs> yes. we're ready to, it's already off to a great start. Uh, well, my, you know, I'll, I'll my put middle my name is my mouth for it's over with. So <laughs> sorry, I was saying uh, my middle name is James, but my first name is Constantine. But my parents thought like you can't have two real hard to pronounce names, so I went by I've always gone by my middle name, Jim, because Constantine Demetrius Ducius would be uh that's a mouthful. Yeah, don't ask me to repeat that. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how you would. How, how would you even like shorten up Constantine? Uh, is, Tino is, is or the, Costa? You know, they, there's a lot of different ways. But oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. interesting. That's a cool name, though. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Jim, I know. So I know you are a um, a bow hunter and a, a traditional bow hunter at that. And we we might get into some of that before we wrap this thing up. But we really wanted to get you I on here so. and. And talk a little bit about about fishing specifically, fly fishing. And uh, now you run you run a guide service called uh, Everglades Angling, right? That's right. Yep. And so I do. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I do uh, trips in the Everglades, kayak, some walk-in spots. Um, I'm not your typical like I'm not a boat captain. I, I do mostly kayak and from shore, so kind of unique in that area. I know that video that you you shared with me. I shared it with Nick, and we've we've watched it a couple of times. That's some, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So anybody that wants to go out and catch that, they can. But um, I think that was that was tarpon and snook, and that looked like a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I love it. Yep, keeps me out of trouble for sure. Yep. And I know nothing about tarpon and snook, so I can't wait to ask you questions. Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> They're like, uh, yeah. Tarpon especially, that's my favorite fish. I mean, I love to trout fish also, but uh, this, these tarpon, especially the small tarpon because they're so aggressive, you know, they're just perfect fly rod fish. So, yeah, 
I fish for them as often as I can. And well, guys, before we get it, before we get into that, how about we, how about we, we take a step back and, and ask you, how'd you, how'd you get into fly fishing? Like take uh, us back to that. Yeah. We were talking earlier that, uh, I was born in Michigan and my grandfather got me into fishing at a real young age, you know, just hook and line, um, you know, conventional, probably three years old. And, uh, when he took to me to one of those trout ponds, you know, where you pay a fee and they, you know, a fish feeder goes off and, and, uh, just guaranteed catch. And, and there's a picture of me holding a string or a trout when I was three years old. And I've just been super, I've just, my, uh, excitement for it's never waned, you know, just love it. Loved it every, try to fish sometimes every day for, you know, months, literally at months at a time. So I've never gotten tired of it. Love it. Well, I live in the uh, I live in the Grand Rapids area, and that's where you're from, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Although when so I most you... of my fishing, I did closer to Kalamazoo because my grandparents were there. Ah. So when we moved from Grand Rapids to Buffalo, New York, we'd go back spend the summers in Kalamazoo. So that's where I fished mostly. Oh, that's cool. I got a I got a buddy that fishes a lot of steelhead in Kalamazoo. Cool. Um, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a trout bum myself at the moment, and I've never you know, but I just started, and I, I spend a lot of time at the Rogue. But did you uh, did you spend any time there? Uh, in uh, where now? The Rogue River? Oh no, Mm-mm. mostly what I did in Michigan was the fly fishing was uh, for bass, like bass ponds and oh, interesting panfish. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really how I got into fly fishing. Was I I, <laughs> I found this hula popper and I couldn't cast it on a, my spinning rod and. I didn't know anything about fly fishing, but I, I saw a guy fishing one day and he was casting the fly rod version of the hula popper. And I was like, this is effortless. He could just, you know, cast 60 feet with it like nothing. I'm struggling to throw it five feet, you know, <laughs> but I, but these fish were keying on these dragonflies, I think not even like a frog, but a dragonfly. And, and it, uh, it was deadly. You know, once I, once I got a fly rod, then it was just, oh my gosh, it was just so much better. Now, how long ago was that? Uh, I would have been about nine or 10. I remember I bought the rod with S and H green stamps. If you remember those. Oh, I remember. Yeah. My grandparents used to get them, I think at Kroger. And then I bought them through a catalog, but a, a Martin combo fly rod combo. Oh, huh. very cool. You know, when you, so you, you like the, uh, you like the bass fishing and the, uh, and the, the rock bass fishing and stuff like that. Um, as I a kid, a yeah, people, as a kid, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did you, so where did you, where did you go from there? So then in, in Buffalo, um, in high school, I guess shortly after high school, uh, I met a friend on the river. I was trying to learn how to trout fish, basically self-taught, you know, I was using like just crazy, like a a rig that was ridiculous, trying to cast a dry fly and, and using six pound tests and it wasn't floating. And, you know, the the line was dragging it under. And I just met a a guy in a river and he, he just gave me so much in five minutes, about 10 minutes to talk. And he just, changed my world when it came to fly fishing for trout. And then I was like, what tip it? What's tip it? Like what, you know, just tie to the end of your leader. And then, so I learned so much. And then I met another guy, this, uh, Mike Prairie, he's a steelhead guide up there and does trout trips too. And I learned so much from him. He's just like a mentor of mine and a really good friend. And, uh, just, you know, learning curve was just real steep at that point. So I just learned so much from these guys, you know, it just makes such a difference to have a mentor. Yeah, it's funny how you have those random conversations with people. It's almost like it's faded, where you meet the right person and you're just like, yeah, you can't go any further than where you are. And there's so many questions because even when you're doing your own research, you don't even know what you need to research. You mm-hmm. just 
you know, you're reading whatever like a sponge and then you meet the right person and they're like, you're doing all this. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Try this. Try this. Try this. And all of a sudden, like it clicks and you're like, oh, yeah, a whole new door has been opened up until you meet the next guy. Exactly. And, you know, the pre-internet days. So it wasn't like I could go on YouTube and learn how to tie a, you know, a surgeon's knot or, you know, learn how to tie flies. It was all just, you know, people you met or reading books and, you know. Yeah, just people today can just learn so quickly just from YouTube, you know, even without mentors. Yeah, it's me standing in the middle of the river with my with YouTube on trying to tie a cinch knot. You're <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't attach a leader. You know, yeah. you, you, you so. laugh at that and at, at, at uh, fear of um, uh, people just lashing out at me. You know, one of the things that I said when we were out in Wyoming, <laughs> Tom and I were talking about it, we were up on the mountain. We had no we had no cell service. And I even told Tom while we were up there, I said, you know, it actually would be nice to be able to actually get out on the internet and try to do a little research and figure out what the heck we're doing wrong. <laughs> so yeah. you, you, but you point. do get, you get used to it being mm-hmm. able to that instant access to information. It's Oh, for sure. Yeah. We get spoiled. I was going to ask you, so uh, you started out here. Mm-hmm. What prompted the move down south to Florida? That's exactly well, what I, I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so from Buffalo, I went to Iowa for four years. Um, my wife at the time, now ex-wife, was going to law school. So, you know, avid bow hunters, you know. So Iowa, hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's big deer out there. So I moved out there while she was going through law school. And uh, then I discovered northeast Iowa where there's excellent trout fishing on these uh, little spring creeks. It's amazing fishing. I almost don't want to say, I mean, almost don't want to even talk about it because it's so good. But, um, and nobody really fishes it. It's just more, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin get more of the, the, act, the uh, uh, attention for fly fishermen. But yeah, so after four years, we moved to um, Miami where her folks are. And then I discovered the Everglades, not discovered it, you know what I mean? Fishing out there. And uh, discovered the Everglades. Yeah, I'm the guy, the guy, that <laughs> not DeSoto, you know, it was me. Um, so not, not yeah. DeSoto, Desias. We got it. Yes, it was, it right. was Constantine Desias. That's right. <laughs> he discovered all the, the Everglades. Books. Look it up, Google it. Uh, so, <laughs> so Tammy and me trail, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's Highway 41, it runs between Miami and Naples, and then it turns north over on the you know the west coast of Florida. The, I'd say the, the this part's closer to Naples is tidal, so you get saltwater fish up in there in these tidal creeks. And literally the ditch right next to the road on Tamiami Trail has has tarpon, snook, redfish, ladyfish. I've even heard of people seeing permit in there. Definitely jacks. Um, plus, it's a weird, it's brackish water, so you, you could catch a tarpon on one cast and a bass in the next one. Oh. So, you know, you get a mix of salt and freshwater species and i must admit after nick watched the video that was one of the first thing he said was commented about they're just catching these things right from the side of the road yeah yeah dude's dude's fishing in a viaduct what's he doing over there (laughs) (laughs) we go where the fish are that's what i I take people you know and then some of the spots are really remote especially in the kayak you know we get into very remote spots but um yeah a lot of the best fishing is right along the road you know if you know which tide to fish and, and where to go. Hmm. The tide makes a difference. You know, it's, it, I approach it like trout fishing. You know, these, these saltwater fish, they'll face up current like a trout. So if you have a, 
you know, any kind of tide moving in or out is good. Just they face upstream and wait for the food to come to them like a trout in a stream. So I approach it like that and just look for moving water. And if you find moving water, you usually find these predator fish. Well, and it looks like you're doing a lot of streamer fishing. Oh, yeah. Is that your is that your primary? I mean, and that's what I was going to actually ask you is, so, like, here you're, you know, all the trout guys, I mean, they do pretty much, I mean, you're either, you're either doing, you're doing a lot of dries or a lot of nymphing, or if you want to get aggressive, you're throwing streamers, mm-hmm. um, you know, or you're, or you're swinging or, you know, whatever you're swinging for them or whatever you're doing. So is saltwater fishing, is that the primary difference is that you're mainly streaming bait fish or? Yeah. Bait fish patterns or shrimp patterns, um, streamers or like topwater. I, I like to fish like guardside gurglers and, um, poppers and mostly what I, my favorite fly is like a deer hair muddler. That's, you know, so it hmm. floats, but when you strip it, it goes under the surface just a few inches and I usually fish white. Just, I like to see the strike, you know, so you can see your fly moving through the water and all of a sudden a tarpon or a snook, you see the strike. So that's, to me, that's really exciting. Oh yeah. The water was just exploding. Like <laughs> yeah. all those hits. I was like, wow. You, you know, have to try it. Like... You guys got to both come down and fish with me. Cause it's just, we absolutely have a blast. It's so much fun. It, it would actually probably ruin you. <laughs> they probably would the closest thing i've seen to anything like that has been um there's a guy i watch on youtube um it's a kid actually in michigan that fishes pike that way he mm-hmm. is always stripping for pike with these big you know articulated streamers sure. and stuff like that and when they hit it's just he i mean it's like a log in the water and all of a sudden everything just erupts oh yeah and i can i can now steve does a little more streamer fishing i i really haven't done it yet like I, I've hit, well, for one, I, I didn't really, have, I only had one rod for a while and I was really only doing one kind of fishing for smaller trout. And now I've got some bigger tackle and stuff like that. And I'm actually going to get into tying some streamers and some woolly, I'm going to start with a woolly bugger and go from there. But I've never actually, I don't even, I don't even know really where to start streamer fishing, like where to look, where to go. I mean, can you, can you add to that a little bit? Uh, for trout, you mean? No, for actually for any fish. Like, what are you looking? Are you just looking for structure, um, or are you throwing like just at a forty-five degree angle to the shore and letting the current take it yeah. a little bit and, yeah, and like stripping it in, or what? Yeah, down and across, like the classic way. And then um, I usually strip it a little bit just to give it a little bit of movement as I do that. But um, and you can also just free drift it down and then let the current kind of move it. But it, to me, I like it because. Um, you know, the, the hit, the strike is so aggressive, you know, and you feel it, you don't have to, you know, like, it's not like a dry fly where you have to, you know, my vision isn't what it once was. And sometimes it's hard for me to see dry flies, but you know, with a streamer, you could, you could do it blindfolded. You feel the strike. So, um, mm-hmm. it's just awesome. Like, especially at the end of the, the drift, you know, just boom, you know, like that's typically where they're going to hit it. They'll follow it even, and then they'll smack it at the end. So, Yep. I did a lot of that this fall in North Carolina, just streamer fishing and, and, uh, especially the streams where they're stocked fish. It's just, it's almost unfair. It's just so, it's so effective. <laughs> it's just, yeah. And fun to fish just, you know, for aggressive fish, trout and I mean, for uh, rainbows, especially brook trout, they're real aggressive. Well, and the thing that I like about streamers is you, the, there's so many different ways that you can fish a streamer and so many different actually streamer types you can do everything from imitation of in you know insects like grasshoppers to to uh, sculpins to even um, 
even in mergers that are rising. I mean, it, 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 there's just so many different ways you can fix it. That's why I always kind of default to them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I've ever been on uh, trout water that I couldn't at least catch trout with a streamer, even if I couldn't catch them with anything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's a stream in uh, western New York that my friend, who's an avid dry fly fisherman, you know, Kane Rod's kind of a purist, and he took me there and he said, you know, well, you know, we got to go really small with these, you know, dries. And I was just like, when I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm going to fish the exact opposite of what he's going to do. So I fished streamers and he said, there's no way you're going to catch anything in here doing that. And I caught like six in an hour. And these are, you know, wild fish, wild rainbows, and they're very, very selective on dry flies, but they probably hadn't seen a streamer in a year or more, you know? So yeah, it was, that was fun. Well, and you, you also have to remember that the, the streamers are, in my opinion, they trigger a, a natural response in a fish more than just feeding. I mean, a lot of times, uh, trout or, or bass, anything, they, they will strike at that streamer out of a, a natural reaction much more than just because they want something to eat. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes, it does trigger something in them that just, uh, yeah, they're not eating always, they're just attacking so that you know just even makes for a better strike you know when they're that aggressive so is there uh, and again the only the only video that i've had a chance to watch jim is the one that you you linked me um mm-hmm. but when you're looking at the you know the the tarpon and the snook that you were showing and you you rattled off a lot of different um species there is there are you are you targeting a spe- specific species or are you pretty much just fishing for that type of water and you get what you get. If I'm just fishing for myself, I'm always targeting tarpon, small, you know, they're juvenile tarpon, you know, like two to 20 pounds. Um, but it's really the type of water where these predator fish are going to be. So you might catch a snook, you might catch a tarpon, might hook a gar, uh, a bass, you know, those predator, those fish that those ambush fish, um, they're all going to kind of be in the same type of water. So, I just fished kind of the same structure, same type of, uh, like I said before, moving water. And you never know what you're going to catch because they all like that same, those predators like that same type of cover. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, one of the things, Jim, that I was wondering about is, you you know, when I pictured tarpon, I pictured like huge tarpon. Yeah. Like yeah. whenever you see the, you know, the like bonefish tarpon, like people who... People who fish tarpon, like all the videos you see on YouTube and stuff, if you type in tarpon fishing, it always takes you to a video where it's like some guy standing out in the surf, you know, like waist deep and then reeling in these huge tarpon Mm -hmm. or stripping in these huge tarpon or out in the boat doing it or whatever. So that's not really what, I mean, are you you just catching smaller tarpon or or what? I mean, I don't, I don't fit. That's more like in the Keys or down in Flamingo. Okay. Um, I wonder if that was so, a regional thing. Yeah. Um, these are more like juvenile fish. It's sort of like a nursery for them. So, you know, I've caught gotcha. them as small as like three inches all the way up to, I've hooked them 60 pounds in these little backcountry lakes. But um, Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 That ain't no little fish. Yeah. Especially like a, <laughs> on a six weight. Yeah. That's not common, but it does happen. You jump, do jump some big ones. Um, I got like 10 jumps out of that fish too, but uh, didn't land it. And it was surrounded by alligators, but so I'm fighting this fish for 20 minutes and there's alligators waiting for at the shore because I'm on the shore fish, you know, when I hooked it and uh, 
So these alligators are just, it's like right out of a movie. They're just facing towards me like, okay, land this fish already so we can eat it, you know, but it threw the hook, thank, thankfully, so it didn't, they didn't eat the, the tarpon. Although they would have struggled that, with that one because he was ha- almost as big as they were. But now, Do you got to deal with that kind of stuff a lot? I mean, I, can, I can't even imagine. I mean, Florida, you got, you got snakes, you got, you know... Uh, alligator alligators you got all yeah, that stuff. N- not really um it's sort of like uh, the alligators are sort of like i consider them like park bears you know the park bears that people feed you know ham sandwiches um the alligators near the shore are the ones that hurt people i mean it doesn't it almost never happens but they get more aggressive i should say you know and but most of my fishing is in a kayak and we're away from those gators the ones we see in a kayak are afraid of people they go down immediately so um, it's not really an issue. I've never had a a dangerous situation with a gator. A couple little, you know, maybe a little bit dicey. But, um, yeah, I had one guy just this is past year, a regular client. He hooked one at a bridge. We were, you know, on shore. And um, actually I actually have a video of it on my on the YouTube channel. But this gator came out of nowhere, and it was coming hard. And I had to just grab his fly line and just hand line it in. It was like a five-pound tarpon. And then I grabbed it by the lip and ran about 40 yards down the, down the canal. To, so I didn't want this gator to eat this tarpon. To me, they're like jewels. You know, they're they're priceless fish. And uh, there's no way I'm going to let him, you know, eat this, eat my ga- eat my tarpon. So we got a little bit of that on video. It was pandemonium for a minute there. <laughs> so are you doing, is that all catch and release then? Yeah, it's all catch and release. Mm-hmm. Because I, I never even really heard of anybody eating tarpon or anything like that. I, I didn't know if you could or, or what, what the deal with that was. Yeah, I fished in uh, Nicaragua and Costa Rica for tarpon, and, and they do eat them down there. But they eat everything. Any fish that gets caught, they eat. You know, they'll find a recipe that'll work with it. But tarpon are not considered, you know, good food fish. They're really more, and to me, they're too valuable. Yeah, they live to be 60 years old. So Oh, Wow. wow. Yeah, to me, it's just like, you know, what a, what's a crime to, to eat those things? Because there's so many other fish that are easier to catch and eat, you know? So why would you, you know? Um, the only tarpon I ever hooked was sheer accident. In fact, I didn't even know what it was. Um, and I'm, well, I should say I'm about 98% sure it was a tarpon. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the, and you may even know this off the top of your head. What's the... Um, it's kind of like a, a jerk bait that you use for uh, like Spanish mackerel and king mackerel. It's got a name to it. And I can't even remember the name of it. In fact, I've got two or three of them stuck away somewhere. Like it's, it's a surface lure. No, no, no. It's a. It, these no, things it's not. Are, they're heavy. They're it's it's. Oh, like a mural lure. Um, it's maybe I'll maybe I'll it's a plug and maybe I'll think of the name of it. But it's basically you just cast this thing out. And you just as fast as you can you know oh, jerk yeah. and reel it in and. Uh, was was catching Spanish mackerel doing that, and all of a sudden, and I'm talking about with you know spinning rods like you'd use for trout. I mean, not not mm-hmm. big rods at all. And all of a sudden, it felt like a Mack truck hit this thing, and I got it basically just close enough to the surface that I saw this long silver flash. Um, and yeah, he was gone. I finally had to just you know grab the the spool to snap it off just so he didn't take all my line with it, but. Uh, yeah, I've never purposely gone after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to change that. <laughs> They're so much fun. And then the other thing too is I we haven't talked about it, but um, uh, I do a lot of peacock bass fishing, and that's also like an amazing fly rod fish. They're super aggressive. Um, you can catch twenty in a day. You know when the when the weather's right, the weather conditions. 
and uh, they're for top water. They can't be beat. They're, they fight a lot like a smallmouth bass, but you know, just more aggressive. I think that's one of the ones that's on uh, Tom's list. So he may he may be a little jealous that we talked about that on here. But I <laughs> yeah. think that's one of we we talked to we had a, a long conversation a while back about <clears throat> trout fishing and or fly fishing and what he's what he's done and what he still has on his list. And I want to say that was on his list. So it should might, be on everybody's be in touch list because they're so much fun. Uh, Jim, how do you? Uh, you look like somebody who kind of like for just from your videos, somebody that likes to kind of get into some has some pride and in getting into some tight spots and catching fish where you don't usually catch fish. How how do you get? I I don't even. Are you using a full ten? nine ten foot eight nine ten foot rod to get into some of those places or do you got like some smaller rods to get in there or what because i don't even know how you'd even get a roll cast going in some of those places yeah yeah you definitely have to get creative with the casting um i call it the tamiami triple haul tamiami trail in the name of the road and then so you know the double (laughs) haul the triple haul is you're pulling a third pull on the line to get it out of the 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 crap at your feet you know know, a bud light can or like uh you know whatever brush or you know it's just that triple so i've taught myself to do that and i cast left-handed i've taught myself to cast left-handed i i throw a lot of back casts i throw under casts um it just because out of necessity you know just like you said some of these spots are ridiculously tight and um it's it really taught i thought i was a good caster until i moved to florida and started fishing in the in the Everglades and like and I was a decent caster but now it just makes you you have to be so precise although the flip side of that is you're using heavy heavy leader so if you throw Mm -hmm. it up in the mangroves you can literally just straighten the rod and pull it right out you're not going to break your line you might bend the hook before you break the line so you know there's the advantage of that I was looking at that I was like watching you do it I was like imagining myself like trout fishing with my four weight in a stream like that going oh there's I, my i just had anxiety just thinking about it i was like well there's a snag there's a snag there's a lost yeah, cast. Yeah. there's a nymph <laughs> you know like, yeah exactly no way I can do it. but uh the the typical, I, I don't use it sorry go ahead go ahead nick oh no go ahead i, I'll, I was just I'll gonna say that, that the leaders the leaders i use are um they're not standard leaders i usually just use a butt section like a 10 foot leader or nine foot leader but i'll do a butt section of a 50 pound mount 50 pound mono and then just a piece of 25 or 30 pound fluorocarbon, that's the leader. So there's no real tippet oh. in there. There's no, okay. um, and so that you can get away with a lot. You can land, I like it because you can land fish quicker. You don't stress them as long, as much. You can put them, you know, get back in the water right away. Um, plus like you don't lose every fly in your box, you know, throwing them in the mangroves because that happens. Um, so yeah, that's, and then also, you know, these tarpon and snook have very abrasive jaws, like, t- you know, small teeth, sort of like sandpaper. Mm-hmm. So if you hook a big one and you have to fight it for a while, they can chafe through even like 30 pound test. So you have oh. to, yeah, mm-hmm. got to kind of land I won- quick. I wondered about that. Cause even the, even some of the heaviest tippet, I can't even imagine, you know, seeing some of the jaws on those going, I don't even know how they would, how they would even, <laughs> you know, do that. But, uh, mm-hmm. the, the other thing I noticed is that you're up there like hauling right by the highway and there's cars <laughs> going by. <laughs> Yeah, you have to and time like, your fat cast. I was gonna say, it doesn't even look like you're trying. And some of those go by like aircraft, and I'm like, he's gonna snag that 18 wheel and take this take his rod right out of his hand. Yeah, <laughs> you I know, but you're yeah, just it could happen on. one day. Uh, yeah, I just I time my cast. I just use my ears, and I can tell kind of how far back they are and time it. And uh, one of my one of my mentors out there, Steve Kantner, he's an outdoor writer. 
Um, he's written for a lot of you know fly fishing magazines. He he calls himself the land captain, and he was when I was working at Bass Pro in the fly shop. He he would come in all the time, and we'd talk you know shop and fishing out there. And he he wrote an article where he said uh, he had a client out there, and the guy hooked an eighteen wheeler on his back cast, and his and it hooked it, you know, it was tight to the truck and the truck's going 60 miles an hour and he's just watching his reel empty of fly line, like instantly backing <laughs> within seconds. And then he said the reel, you know, the line went tight and the reel came off the, the reel seat and took every guide off of the rod. So he's standing there with a rod, no guides on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's smoking, you know. Yeah, so it can get, like you got to watch your back cast. <laughs> Yeah, man, I was gonna say, and then this dude, I'm sure that dude gets off at the next rest area and looks at the side of his truck and he's got a fly line lid. You know, there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man, really. What's that? But uh, exactly, man, that's just it's just so different than I mean, because yeah, you know, I mean the rogue, you know, where I fish a lot, um, and even the Muskegon stuff like that. You know, I mean, it, it goes underneath overpasses and and things like that, mm-hmm. and and but you're still you're off the road. I mean, I don't see anybody casting off the bank most people are wading in the water either that or they're in some kind of drift boat um, yeah sure and one of the things i noticed from your video is that you don't see a lot of that around here and i wonder why but the kayaks mm-hmm. like fly fisher from the kayak i saw a friend of mine do it um at gli this year uh one of our our archery rendezvous and he it, he was having a heck of a time with it I mean, he was in a lot of water, but I mean, you know, trees and and lily pads and all kinds of stuff. And but that looks like a lot of fun. I, I just can't imagine keeping your balance and casting a fly rod in a kayak. Is that well, something you do often? Yeah, we do it every trip. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 the sit on top type of kayaks that are really stable. You could actually stand in them if you wanted to. I don't recommend oh, okay. it, but <laughs> you know, especially <laughs> just given the the creatures that are out there. But um, but yeah, they're really stable. They're easy to cast out of. Um, and um, it's cool when you hook a fish because they tow you around. You know, the weight of the boat probably tires them out. You don't have a lot of leverage like on a bigger fish. But, um, yeah, it gets interesting because they do. They try to get you up in the mangroves, especially the snook. You know, if you hook one, they go right for the mangroves. So it can get a little uh, dicey, but it's fun. I love casting out of, I love fishing out of oh. those things. You can get so close, too. If you see a fish, mm-hmm. you know, these tarpon and snook, will get, they'll give their, themselves away. Look, You know, they'll bust bait along the shoreline or they'll... The tarpon will roll, so you know pretty much where they are. So you can kind of creep in, like you're stalking in to make the cast, and uh, you can just approach so quietly in a kayak. Well, as I guess to, like pulling a boat, you know. Yeah, and I guess it's deceiving watching it on the video because looking at it from the video, it looks like every fish that you guys hook into, it looks like they actually make it to and up under the mangroves. But I guess it's just the way it looks on the video. Well, a lot of them do, but you know that heavy leader, it'll take a lot. You know, as long as you don't get caught on a on a barnacle you know on a mangrove right but, uh, right we have lost some big snook that way but uh you know they're not all meant to be caught you know just because you hook them doesn't mean you're going to land them necessarily i got you so so is most of this sight fishing jim i mean or is it do you have an idea that there's a fish there just based on your experience and and you give it yeah a try that way it's not it's rare to have it like where you actually see the fish before you cast to it it's mostly like fishing spots where i where they're going to be, you know, types of cover that they like or places I've caught them before. But like I said, if you see a bust where they come up and crash some minnows, then I'll, you know, you know, I'll tell the guy like, you know, let's, (laughs) we got to get there like now, let's start paddling, just get over there across the pond or down the the canal or uh, stream and, 
So they do give themselves away. So and if you get it kind of in the ballpark, they're they're aggressive. They're feeding, so they'll they'll come fly in your fly. You know, they're not. It's not like you have to make a perfect cast. You just got to get it in the general area, and they'll they'll come find it. Hmm. Now, if I missed it, I know Nick was talking about the rod length. What's your typical weight rods, and and what type of lines are you using for that kind of fishing, Jim? Mostly um, seven weights. Anything from six to eight weight um, floating lines and. Uh, any kind of reel, just something to hold the line. It's not like they're going to pull you into your backing, you know, just something to hold the line. And, uh, yeah, even, even trout rods, like a six, six weight trout rod would be fine for most of the fish. Mostly, are you mostly using, uh, carbon rods or have you, have you gotten into the, the fiberglass rod craze? Well, well, you guys ruined me. I listened to that one podcast <laughs> where that with fiberglass, <laughs> of course I had to buy a couple of fiberglass rods, uh, but Mostly fiber, mostly uh, carbon rods, yeah, graphite. I got you. I'll be honest. I had not fished with a, a fiberglass rod in many years until after that, and I've managed to pick up a couple. And I'll I'll be perfectly honest. I'm having a blast with them. But I love them. Yeah, I use them for trout all the time in North Carolina, and I got to get one out on the trail and catch a small tarpon on it because it would bend like a pretzel. You know, I mean, just a it'd be fun just to try that. It's a four weight, but I can make it work. Sure, absolutely. I've uh, you'd be surprised at how many pretty good sized trout I've pulled out of the Chattahoochee River um, with a two weight. Wow! Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and, but it is. I must admit, it's probably bordering on uh, two lighter rod just to get the fish in in time and and get it released. But man, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> is it a longer rod then, like a nine foot? Uh, no, the it, both of my two weights are. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I know one of them's. One's seven, I think it's seven and a half foot, and the other one's uh, six foot. Okay. So they're shorter oh, rods. Oh, shorts. Yeah, short rods. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the six foot I haven't used on, on a river. I just, In fact, I just got that rod, and it hasn't even been out yet. But my plan is is I'll use it on some of the smaller streams in North Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the seven and a half footer will be for – for the larger streams, we've got we've got a really good variety here. So we've got everything from you know little streams that you can you can get a running start and you can jump across it um, all the way up to the, the Chattahoochee River, which is a you know pretty big water. So oh yeah, uh, I use it pretty much for everything. So Jim, we kind of diverted from the the Everglades Everglades angling. So you know, tell us how how did that get started? How long have you been doing that? And and really, what all are you kind of catering to with that? With the guide service. Yeah, I got into guiding. Well, I guided a little bit when I was living in Iowa for trout. Um, so when I got to Florida, um, I'm a teacher by profession. I, I taught school for, I guess, 19 years, um, an art teacher. Um, so I was doing uh, working in the Bass Pro Shop and the Fly Shop. And guys would come in, hey, do you know a guide? And finally, I just... It's like, I, I could take it. Where do you want to go? What do you want to catch? Finally, I just said, I broke down. I was like, yeah, you know, my, the guy, this guy, Mark Giacobo, that I was working with, he uh, he said, why don't you just start taking these guys when they ask you, you know? It's like, yeah, I guess I could. I could take them out on the trail or peacock bass fishing. And then that was in 2000, uh, let's see, 2001 or two. And uh, so I've been doing it ever since. And then I've got a, you know, regular guys that come back every year, sometimes twice a year. Um I've actually had three clients from other parts of the country move to Naples or Fort Myers just to be closer to that fishery. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I don't because it's it's one of those things. It's, if you you love it, I mean, if if you like, if you go there and like it, you're just like, oh my, this is just so unique and just so such an amazing fishery. And these guys liked it so much, they literally 
moved <laughs> three times huh. it's happened and one is now a guide he although he's a boat captain but but uh he moved there because he loved the that uh 10,000 island everglades area so much well i'm gonna have to you know i don't i don't make it down often but for my day job i actually uh, have some clients that are that are down in florida so the next time i'm gonna be down there for a couple of days i'm just gonna have to i'm gonna have to hit you up and We'll figure out yeah, how, to get some, how to get some fishing in while I'm there. It's I'm spoiled because I have um, I live in South Miami, so I have Biscayne Bay is about eight minutes from my house. So there's bonefish and permit, and there's also tarpon certain times of the year and barracuda. And then you go the other direction west, Tamiami Trail. If you go south, you got the Keys. Key Largo is only 45 minutes from me, so I can get a lot surrounded by a lot of fishing and then every canal that you see in south florida has fish in it and most of them have peacock bass so that you know just pretty much any body of water here is is uh it's got fish in it that you can catch and now you've also added you've also added north carolina and trout to your to your offerings too right yes i've been going up there deer hunting primarily the last uh i think five years and and then but the trout fishing is really good and and uh my friend dalton lewis um he lives in jefferson i have a traditional bow hunter very successful young guy but uh also a trout fisherman and he just started taking me to places and i just loved it they loved these small streams light rods you know light tippet small flies and you know like you said before like streams you could just these don't you don't even need a running jump you could just like step across them you know they're they're as wide as they are deep right and there's you know wild yeah. native brook trout in them and i caught one that was uh i think the first summer i fished with him it was 10 inches which is like you know a 200 pound tarpon you know i mean it's like a 10 inch brook trout sure and in, in a, in a southern strain brook trout in the, in a stream that's 12 inches wide and 12 inches deep and he almost flipped he couldn't believe it he goes i've never seen a southern strain that size in these creeks so just got lucky now um where are you uh can you can you give us some of the streams that you're fishing in in north carolina sure yeah uh the watauga river um the new river um uh, helton creek uh, so, and then mostly a lot of small streams. Some of them I don't even know the name of. They're like they're branches of other streams. But uh, yeah, primarily those. Those are bigger waters. And then the, the brook trout streams are off of the Blue Ridge Parkway. So y- they don't look like much from the road. But, you know, if you walk, you're willing to walk, you can get into fish for sure. So yeah, it, They're not real big, it, but they're, you know, they're awesome fish. And they're, to me, they're like jewels. You know, they're just beautiful little uh you know how they are just these beautiful the most to me the most beautiful trout on earth are the brook trout so and i don't know i don't know i may have told you this at some point jim online or something but uh so i grew up in north carolina so that's where i kind of got started trout fishing and still try to go up there every now and then but it's mostly in um graham county which is mm-hmm. i think it's graham county um there's there's two different ones and i can't remember the other one now but it's um uh, Santilla Creek, um, Snowbird Creek. It's you know, um, yep. Nantahala National Forest is basically where they're at. So. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't fished there yet, but I'd like to. Yeah. yeah. Reading a lot about that region, and uh, there's just so much good water and ash in Watauga County. It's just you know, it's going to take time to get over to the other the other counties, but I'll get there. Well, we'll have to we'll have to get together and go up there and fish some too, then, because that's yeah. That'd be- Awesome. The yeah. Santilla, I've been fishing it since I was, I guess, about f- 
14 or 15 years old. So, um, and what's funny is when I lived in North Carolina, it was a six hour drive. Now I can be there in just a little over two, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Maybe sometime uh, now that we're boycotting hunting in Georgia for bow hunting, uh, maybe I'll come down and there we go. We'll go fishing in North Carolina, Steve. I'm all for it, man. I love fishing up there. I love That'd fishing be a lot up of fun. there. The um, thing about trout, you know, it's just they almost always live in beautiful places, you know, and the, you know, the Appalachian Mountains are just as, to me, as beautiful as it gets. And, and it's to catch a, tr- a trout and a stream in the, in the mountains is just top notch in my book. So do you, uh, when it comes to trout fishing and tarpon fishing, though, are you tarpon all the way if you had your choice? <sighs> That's a tough question. Um I think if I had to choose one, I would tr- I would choose trout. Really? I think oh, I would. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I did love not fishing think you were for tarpon. Say that. Well, I do love fishing for tarpon, but um, like I said, the places that trout live, especially the mountain trout, are just to me this the most beautiful. You know, the Everglades aren't a real pre- <laughs> not real pretty. They're pretty in their own way, I guess, but um, you know, in a different way, way different way. But uh, yeah, just. Yeah, if you could put tarpon in those streams, then yeah, for sure, that'd be easily my favorite, but they're not going to survive up there. Yeah, there is that. I didn't really think that, but still, I would think with all the action that a, uh, not that trout don't give you a fight, I mean, um, but the as, as violent as those tarpon are, I would think oh, you'd yeah. go tarpon. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a close call. I, you know, who knows? I may say something different tomorrow, but uh, yeah, kind of in trout mode right now. Yeah, they do live in pretty places, that's for sure. Especially the brookies, catching brookies. That's one thing I have not done yet is brook trout fish. Oh, they're, to me, the best. Yeah, love them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny when I've seen you in those little in those little creeks and stuff, you know. Um, my uh, my dad was telling me that my like my great-grandfather used to catch brook trout in, 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 a little, in a little creek called Billy's Creek right down the road from my house. And um, I went there to visit. And uh, I wanted to go check it out back there, and it's like, it is it's Everglades-y back there. Like there's it's a lot of swampy, like, yeah, it's swampy. It's like off Lake Huron, and it's a lot of like cattails and really sandy sink up to your to your chest <laughs> streams, you know, yeah. and and really warm water, and then super shallow in some areas. And he he told me that um, like he used to. Like, my my great grandfather used to go there, and all he'd have was he'd have a cane pole, and uh, he he basically would, you know, almost like center pin it. He just had he he would hook a grasshopper and float it all the way down the creek, and just keep letting line out. And he'd catch brook trout out of there all the time. He'd catch his fill, and then he'd come back. And oh, yeah. I went I went back there, and I had no idea how you'd even fish that. Like I was walking down it, I was like, I don't even know what you know what you could. Like even, so overgrown. Even, well, you don't even see fish in there. Oh, okay. and there's no bank. Mm-hmm. To, there's no bank to walk on for half of it. But I never followed it because you can follow it into the woods where the water gets cooler. You know, because it's in the. You know, it's not out in the sun all day long. Right. And I mm-hmm. bet you there's some good fishing in there. And then that's it, probably what they they like that cold water for sure, especially brookies. Exactly, and you know it wasn't it wasn't the summer and it wasn't that hot, but you know that's probably part of it. But I, I really want to get a little bit better fishing in tight quarters like that and trying that out and i kept thinking man if i had a little like a six like if I had a little six foot two weight or something like steve's got i'd probably just love it there 
You could you do know. that bow and arrow cast. Have you seen that done? Yeah, I have seen that. Bend the rod. <laughs> yeah, some people Dalton do it. Showed their, me that one. Some people do it in their teeth, and I've seen it. I've seen it look terrible, and which is probably <laughs> yeah. which is probably how I would I would look if I tried it. <laughs> I'd probably get I'd probably get target panic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Short rod or something like I typically do. Snap shoot it. <laughs> Well, that's a good segue into the archery part of this. Don't well, you wait a minute. Wait, it yeah. is, but I, hold on a minute, because if I don't, if we don't talk a little bit more about the peacock bass thing, that no, I got something to say about the the brook trout. Just okay. real quick, you okay, know, sure. also, also an artist, so I've painted a lot of fish over the years, and to me, they're the most challenging to paint, and but also the mo- they're so colorful, especially in the fall when they have those colors, and I just love to. I think a lot of fishing and hunting for me is well, it is visual and. Um, I think as an artist, uh, it just, I, I don't know, I can't even put it into words, you know, that's why I paint, I guess. Um, my favorite fish to paint is a brook trout, just because they're just, they're works of art, you know, God's paintbrush. And and then the other thing about brook trout, there's a, um, I don't know if you've read uh, much Hemingway, but there, he has a series of books called the Nick Adams stories, oh, short stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Steven. big two, big two-hearted river is, uh, you know, I can read that, and I'll, I'll want to get. In, I'm in Miami, but I'd like to get in a jeep, jeep and just ri- drive up like instantly. I read that story and get in the car and go to <laughs> trout fishing somewhere because it's just so inspirational in the way he's such an amazing writer and, and he was fishing, uh, like you said, your grand was it great grandfather was fishing with grasshoppers mm-hmm. and, yeah, that's yep. what he would do. But uh, but on a fly rod, you fly rod with bait, you know, and and uh, yeah, just sure so inspiring yeah nick's the one that actually turned me on to that that the nick adams stories oh yeah yeah you you can't read it you can't read it and not want to go exactly i mean and that was the first that was the first thing i read that got me into fly maybe even put the idea of fly fisherman fly fishery Mm -hmm. fly fishing in my head it was that and then um uh, floyd wells gave me the gordon Macquarie, the works of gordon Macquarie. Mm-hmm. Um and the uh, the old duck hunter president of the old duck hunters club stories and there's a lot of fly mm-hmm. fishing in that and uh, I didn't um, know that okay I got to read that yo know, it's fantastic if you like the Nick Adams I mean it's different you know because McCory was more of a comical you not com- not comical but there was a lot of humor in it and it's very relationship based where Hemingway was more about solitude and you know they're always a little dark um, yes. And I mean, even Nick's character is a little dark. I mean, he mm-hmm. had a weird, weird childhood, you know, kind of a loner. Um, and it's it's a good balance between those two. And um, where where I go from there, um, I know this is this is now the literature podcast. <laughs> where, where where I go from art and literature you, night? Yeah, is is usually Traber. You know, I go to Robert yes. Traber and yeah, Guy Traber. And, and 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 all that but it all started with nick adams and funny the funny thing is is i really wanted um the uh steve you sent me the nick adams works didn't you wasn't that the one you sent me you know what i don't remember now nick i thought you were the one that told me about the nick adams but maybe it wasn't maybe i ran across it and 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 sent you a copy i honestly can't remember uh, no i did i did tell you about it but i remember what I was looking to collect the Hemingway stuff. I was looking for older prints and I, I, um, in hardcovers and things like that. And I had, I had the, uh, I found the short, the short story, the, that's my favorite one ever is the Hemingway short stories collection. And 
I found it at a for like two bucks at a library that was selling it, and I was like, wow. "Oh man, this is mine." Well, I was telling Steve about the Nick Adams stories and how I wanted to get the, just the collection of Nick Adams stories, and I think Steve, what happened was I think I don't know if you found a second copy or if you read it and sent it to me or what, but I got that too. So, yeah, I I forget now where I found it, but you're right. I did send that to you because I, I think it was off of eBay that I ended up finding. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody had two copies or something. Yeah, because you were like, because you, you have quite the library, and and I was like, oh, I got to find that too, and I got jealous, and you found me another one. So was that and a was polite like, way of calling me a, a hoarder? I think it was. No, <laughs> no. Steve's got Steve's got an awesome collection. Steve doesn't have a ton of books, but Steve's got really good ones. The right ones. Like, yeah, all the good outdoor ones. Um, awesome. Yeah, especially the bow hunting stuff. I, I'm I'm really building quite a fishing library now, though. I, I love to read about trout fishing. Oh yeah, me just, too. There's just something about it, and you know, I, when I was younger, I, did, I I always thought, who would want to read about fishing? Like it's the most boring thing in the world. But just the um, like you said, God's paintbrush, just the artistry of the river and and how alive the river is, and you know, it's one of the most wild places you could be in is a river. And for sure. I just love reading about it. Plus, there's always characters, you know, characters mm-hmm. that, you know, people you run into and stuff like that. And well, plus I have fly fishing, yeah. it attracts characters. It attracts a different type. And and uh, all my friends that are into fly fishing, they're a little bit different. <laughs> same with <laughs> traditional bow hunters, same thing, you know, a little different, but in a good way. And, I was uh, going to say, yeah, nothing so. could surprise me anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty, yeah, pretty accepted. But no, you're totally yep. right. Like, there's, um, you know, I'm actually writing a story right now, a fly fishing story about a guy I always see in the rogue fishing. Oh, cool! That is like the coolest guy in the world. Like he, he just like every time you see him, you know, he's always on the water. He's got he, the back of his truck is like a fly fishing like, you know, tackle box. There's just stuff everywhere. And, you know, if he drives by and he sees that I'm getting out of my car and going into the river, he'll drive on and wave at me, you know, like he doesn't want to get in the spot and stuff like that. And it's just one of these days I got to talk to that guy because he, he, he writes in this old leather journal every time he gets out of the water. And, and wow, I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, this guy is like legit, you know, it's one of those guys like, like when you run into an old bow hunter, you know, that, you know, that they're an old bow hunter. You can just, yes. just tell, you know, but that's could cool. be Hemingway. Maybe, maybe Hemingway's alive and that's him. Does he have? He a looks beard? like Hemingway. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he does. Actually, he's got a, he's got a he's got a mustache like Steve, but it's white. Steve's okay. not quite there. Yet. Steve's not quite there yet. <laughs> but anyway. so so before because I know we do want to talk about the the bow hunting stuff some, but yeah, sure. um, Before we do, tell us a little bit more about the about the Florida bass fishing because Tom Tom's going to want to hear about that, and if I don't go into it, he's he's going to be mad at me. Yeah, the, the peacock bass. Yes. Yeah, it's, um, well, pretty much Broward County, which is, you know, Fort Lauderdale and, and Miami-Dade um, is where you're going to find them the most. And uh, like I said before, just pretty much any body of water has peacock bass in it. They they stocked them in the 80s. This, listen to this. <laughs> they, they stock an invasive species to control an invasive species. So there were, um, although, you know, a great game fish, you know, these peacock bass in their own right. But, um, yeah, there was... People were dumping fish from their fish tank into the canals, and they were it was just perfect uh, water temperature for them to, to multiply. So a lot of these cichlids and uh, oscars and right. other exotics got out of hand. And then so the state of Florida uh, stocked peacock bass, and that was in the mid-'80s, I believe. And uh, they just took off, and 
now they're everywhere and and it's just they're just so much fun to fish for i mean i used to live on a lake and um it was just so easy to catch them. I actually felt guilty. So I would, I would tie on like the biggest, like I'd tie, you know, a deer hair diver, but real, real overtied. So it would float real high in the water. And I'd take the hook and just bend it into a circle so I couldn't hook them. Right. And just, and just fish to them like that. So just to get a couple jumps out of them and then they'd throw the hook. And then even without casting another time, another tar, not tarpon, well, sometimes tarpon, but usually peacock bass would grab it. And they would, then I'd have that one on the line for a few jumps. He'd fly off. And more than once I had three hooks, three fish hooked, not literally hooked, but, you know, holding in their mouth, jumping uh, on the same cast. It's happened. And they're just so aggressive when you get the temp- water temperature right and um, they're feeding. And even if they're not feeding, they're, they're uh, sort of like, you know, uh, barracudas, you know, do a real fast strip for them to get in the, or bluefish or, Spanish mackerel real fast you retrieve the same thing with peacock bass if, if it's not moving fast they pretty much ignore it like a bass a bass might eat it but a peacock ignores it if you can strip it in as fast as possible they'll just fish will come out of the places you didn't even know they were there and just you'll just see a streak and then you're hooked up and they're jumping and yeah they're, they're great fish great game fish and what kind of tackle for those I usually use seven weights or eight weights gotcha you could certainly land them on lighter rods, but I like to throw bigger flies for them. You know, big, you know, just you know, bigger ties, overtied flies with a lot of flash, and just because it's so cool to see them, you know, hit it on the surface. Right. So I know Nick wants to get into the the hunting a little bit before we before we use up all of our time here. So take it away, Nick. <laughs> take it away, Nick. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you know, let's. Uh, you lit up a little bit when we started talking about bow hunting, Jim, and it sounded like you want to get into it. So, uh, talk about. Let's talk about traditional archery a little bit. How'd you get into? How'd you get into all that? About the same time I um, got into fly fishing, um, I think I was about nine or ten. I bought a uh, a Ben Pearson fiberglass bow at a at a garage sale for three dollars. It was one of those like yellow, I think, yellowish, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know where I got the arrows from, but they certainly weren't matched. And um, I just started shooting that thing. And I think I had I'd read Robin Hood, you know, and just was fascinated with that story. And then I, was, I saw a video um, or a film probably of Fred Bear. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this guy's my hero. And he's still my hero in a lot of ways. But um, and uh, I got to shoot a, a recurve because Fred Bear shot a recurve. You know, you've probably heard this story before, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, so, and then I lived not in the country, kind of suburbia, but there were still patches of woods around. So, you know, I wasn't even aware that there were hunting seasons. So the rabbits, you know, rabbits, squirrels, doves, whatever, everything was game. And uh, I hunted all the time um, and and then got into deer hunting later. But uh yeah, it's, um, it was one of those things where when you're young, you don't realize it's supposed to be hard. So it was very, it came real natural and easy to me. Now that I know that it's supposed to be hard, I've gotten all kinds of <laughs> shooting bugs, you know, target panic, you know, short drawing, uh, just you name it. I've had every, especially this past year has been terrible, but, uh, I'm working on it. But, um, yeah, um, bow hunting fanatic i love it i love traditional archery i love traditional bows i don't even know how many i own um now since i've been hanging out with ryan a lot ryan gill um he's building me a, a primitive bow a self bow and uh i want to film some of my hunts film you know hunt with his bows and arrows so uh that's the next step is primitive 
Very cool, and it looks like you're going. Uh, you, you're probably just because you, because the area you're in, but you're you're doing a lot of hog hunting. Yes, yeah, I have uh, some properties I have access to a couple hours from here. So, uh, yep, I do uh, hog hunting there, and it's it's open year round. You know, there's it's private properties. So there's no license is required. So, and you can hunt them, you know, at night if you want to. I don't like to do that. I like to do spot and stalk during the day, but um, but I also have some feeders and yeah they're just they're amazing to me the perfect uh traditional archery animal so maybe javelina would be cool to hunt i haven't hunted javelina but that looks like a lot of fun i'd like to do that i think i swear every time we start talking about like hog hunting and and like what people want to hunt somebody always brings up javelina (laughs) everybody everybody on this podcast right now wants to hunt javelina at some point i'd rather (laughs) go on a javelina hunt than a moose hunt or caribou hunt i'm not exaggerating either (laughs) <laughs> oh really yeah i love them i love the idea of spot and stalk and and uh just that thick cover they live in and they just seem very um uh bow hunter friendly you know so yeah uh, i also like to hunt small game I, I was just working on a video today earlier today um a squirrel hunting video with trad gear and uh i love hunting squirrels that was like the first animal that i hunted with a bow so it's just so much fun there's so much action you know just uh and they're delicious i love you know there's great great eating and uh, just a lot of shot opportunities. It never gets boring, you know. You know, I keep saying I'm just going to become a squirrel hunter because, uh, <laughs> like, I every time I'm every time I'm deer hunting, that's all I see around here. It's just, <laughs> there's just an abundance of squirrels, you know. And, I, and I'm like every I I always try to convince myself to take a shot, and I never do. I never do. Mm-hmm. I've had them as close as five feet, you know, almost looking off my boot. Steve's had them in his pack. I mean, I've had him, you know, I, I've had him so you can almost punch him off the tree, you know, oh, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm always like, man, and I enjoy it. Like, I remember one time we went with my dad and we, you know, within like five minutes, we were out of arrows and, you know, you never oh, watch yeah. where you ever watch where your arrow's going when you're hunting squirrels. So you, you're looking around like, I just lost all my arrows. I can't find it because you're not paying attention <laughs> to where they're going, you know, yeah. and, and they're tough too. I mean, if you, you got to hit them, like... Like I've hit them, you know, just point point blank with a judo in the back, and just it just bounced off. I mean, I've seen yeah. just crazy squirrels do crazy things. Um, but I keep this saying, you know, I got to devote more time to small game hunting because I it's just an opportunity thing, and and if I I think I'd have a blast. I mean, it's just like roving, but you know, you've actually got you're in a target rich environment most of the time. Exactly. Of course, of course, then when you actually decide that you're going to small game hunt. You just see deer and <laughs> turkeys yeah. and, you know, everything else. So it, it That's a good problem to have, though, as long as deer season's open. Uh-huh. But I, it looks like you're definitely in a good area for, you know, for the hogs and for, oh, yeah. for all of that. So, I mean, between the fishing and that, it sounds like you're in the right place, man. Yeah, I, I, I took a year off from, from teaching, and um, I pretty much just been uh, uh, hunting. This sounds... <laughs> <laughs> driving a lot between North Carolina and Florida and New York. I went up to New York too and, and, uh, to steelhead fish. And then I, you know, deer hunted on my way down and then I trout fished and then I came back to Florida and fished for tarpon. So this November especially was an amazing month in terms of being outdoors and just, uh, just, and you know, I'm, I'm an artist. So I, you know, working on paintings, finally have time when you're teaching art, the last thing you want to do is come home and paint, you know, at the end of the day, after <laughs> yeah, teaching 12, 11 classes, you know, so uh, now I'm inspired to 
to do that and I have the time to do it now. And then we'll see what, what next year brings. I may just continue guiding or I may go back into teaching and just, hmm. you know, we'll see, see how it goes. So now I, uh, go ahead. Go ahead Steve. No, go ahead. Well, this is my, this was my, uh, I saw you now with all the fishing you do. Mm-hmm. I saw you, I saw you had a video, a little bit of bow fishing on there too. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm actually really surprised to see you bow fishing when most of the guys that fly fish, you have that mentality of man, these these fish are gold, man. You don't you don't shoot them with no arrow, but yeah. you're out there bow you're out there bow fishing. So what what did, how does that you just flip a switch or, or what? Uh, yeah, what it's you, well, it's it's for these invasive species. You're you know? going for the for like what, tilapia, tilapia. I was going to say carp or tilapia. Yeah, yep. tilapia and Mayan cichlids, and they're they're delicious. Um, we eat them. You know, we shoot them and put them right in the cooler. And um, Bill Langer. Um, He's filmed with me a bunch of times, and uh, we we always middle of the day would go and drink a couple beers and walk the banks shooting at tilapia. It was just so much fun. Yep. So uh, yeah, I love I love bow fishing, especially that style, just from the bank. It was you know sort of like, and these tilapia are spooky. I mean, you have to stalk them. You can't just mm-hmm. like walk the bank and like oh there's one and shoot. It's not like that. You have to spot them like basically you don't have to get the oh, wind yeah. right but you have to circle around and and uh get in a position where they're going to swim by you or you can sneak up on them it's it's hunting it's truly hunting for these things it, I, I love it, it it's really fun it, yeah and a lot of guys don't hunt like that here for bow fishing or for, for i mean they don't bow fish like that a lot of people a lot of the a lot of the places to bow fish around here um you got to do it with some kind of a, a boat set up for it yeah like, there's mm-hmm. you know you don't hear a lot of people doing it on the bank or waiting, um, or anything like that. And, um, I tried to do it when I first started doing it. I only did it like twice and I never did it again. Um, and I was doing it off the grand river and, uh, you know, when, if ever, if like a soybean field, like flooded, there was a couple spots you could go where they, they get caught up there, you know, where they, the uh, yep, the carpet get out, uh, get caught up there and get into some pond like areas and, and shoot, you know, and, I kept on every time I did it. I was like, "Man, I'm just getting eaten alive by mosquitoes." Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always over my hip boots. At the time, I only had like hip boots. I didn't have waders. I'm like, I can't shoot when I'm in this water. You know, I'm just like my arrow's going right down into the muck. You know, the first time I shot, I I broke the arrow off the line and it went sailing out in the middle of the pond, and I had to use it back <laughs> up. I just bought it too. It was like a twenty dollar, you know, Easter oh, yeah. whatever it. And then I'd always get the spool knotted, and I was like, I'm just not set up to do this. This is just not my thing. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, well, you got to go on a boat. You know, you got to go on a boat. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to, you know, I don't have a boat, for one. I don't know anybody with a boat. So I'd have to either charter somebody or make friends with somebody that has one. And I feel like if I'm on a boat, I just want to, I might as well be fishing. I, <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> That's how I feel. I'd probably yeah. be throwing t- topwater flies or something. Yeah. But, uh, Jason, I know Jason Samkoviak. He's he's uh, he's got a boat decked out for that, and uh, oh, he talks about it. Yeah, he's oh my gosh, he's like so into that. Yeah, yeah. he is. Oh wow, yeah. I had no idea that Jason he, was into that. Yeah, he fishes all. He'll bow fish all night. I mean, from dusk till dawn. I mean, he's hardcore with the lights and everything. And uh, I've never done it that way. I mean, it'd probably be fun to try, but uh, I kind of like the way we do it too because usually we'll we'll hunt pigs in the morning till like 10 and then go bow fish midday and then go out back out in the evening, you know, to sit a stand again for pigs or stock or whatever. Man, that sounds but, like a day. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. Steve, what, Steve, what were you going to say? I was just going to ask how your, uh, your hunting season in North Carolina. Uh, frustrating. 
not because of the deer. I had so many opportunities this year. I just, I, it was just like a snake bit. I, I had so many chances and uh, I missed a spike the first weekend, I think, or the second weekend of the season. And uh, my friend Dalton put it, it they laugh at me because I hunt out of trees, out of stands that are really low. I mean, eight, 10 feet off the ground. He goes, well, there's no way you're going to get away with this. Well, we put it in a tree with a lot of limbs and it was in an apple tree and a bunch of apples falling and, and, uh, they came in and these deer came in and I just got, I've only been doing this 40 years. You'd think I know better, but I, I just didn't pick a spot and shot over the back of this spike and it's on video making, you know, insult injury. <laughs> and just, I don't know what I did. And then, uh, the, I, I look at the rewind, rewound it and, oh, my arrow went through these you know, some leaves before it got to the deer. Maybe it skipped it. Maybe it just, you know, whatever, making excuses. But I just blew it, just didn't pick a spot and just shot at the whole deer. And this is after hitting a squirrel like earlier that day, like 12 yards, like some whacking a squirrel. And I know I can do it, but it's just one of those seasons. And then in black powder, I just get, I did want to, I just wanted to hunt on the ground with, you know, a percussion gun. And um, so it's fairly close range and and i just kept getting winded by deer or they'd spot me i had one doe come across these pines i've got also on video and she heard the click of the hammer going back and she pegged me like 12 yards 15 yards just looked right at me and uh so i couldn't swing to run you know she was on my right and i'm right-handed so i couldn't get the gun over to get it on her and so uh but anyway then a couple weeks ago during rifle i did actually get a uh i thought it was a doe it ended up being a button buck but with the with uh 25 out six and that was a little deer but i was just so proud of that deer and it was just it just ended my season um in such a positive way and uh i worked so hard for that thing i mean all through bow season um and i had hunts in florida too and just didn't work out so and it's you know as you know the best tasting venison you could can ever find is a, a young buck or young doe sure so and i, I don't really know happy. I, I don't know about the area that you're hunting in north carolina but i i do remember that the absolute best time to be in the woods where i lived was during the the muzzleloader season that one week was mm-hmm. always like it was just insanity i mean bucks were running everywhere oh yeah um, and then after that, you know, it would you'd, you'd you'd have the rut after that, which you'd you'd you would see a lot of deer chasing and so forth. But it was nothing like that that primitive week. It was just always the best week to be in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, looking forward to next year for black powder. But yeah, be doing some bow hunting before then, of course. So tell me a little bit more about your um, your your you're making the switch to start doing a little bit more with the the primitive stuff. So what's your what's your setup going to be like? I know obviously you're probably getting it from Ryan, but yeah, uh, we're going to shoot bamboo arrows, and uh, um, I'm not going to go to stone yet. I, I want to try to get a deer or a pig under my belt with a you know with a metal point and uh, like a trade point probably, mm-hmm. and. Uh, 50 pound bow um yeah primitive bow self bow osage and uh yeah just gonna try to get it done on the ground now is i filmed i filmed quite a bit for ryan i filmed that at at lattle hunt the one where he killed the pig with the at lattle oh you were uh, filming that yeah very Mm -hmm. cool yeah i almost got run over that's when the camera jumps like that i was like i had three pigs not the one he hit with the atlatl, but three other ones. I didn't, we didn't even know were there. Came crashing through the brush and almost ran me over. <laughs> that's why the that's why the camera jerks like that. But 
Now the so, uh, the the bow that you're is it going to be one of his um, like uh, I guess it's almost like a, a static tip recurve or are you, are you? It's going to be a longbow. Is it more a longbow style? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Although he did build a really cool uh, recurve recently, Osage recurve. That's incredible looking. Um, but I think I'll go with a longer you know, longbow. So I'm and I'm kind of doing the same thing. The, the latter part of my season, I'm trying to. Um, at least, at least two thirds of the time, I'm carrying a, a, a primitive bow. Now mine's a, uh, it's a been through the handle uh, Eastern Woodland style bow, but I'm doing the same thing. I'm actually, in fact, I'm 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 working on some additional arrows right now. But I'm doing uh, hickory shafts, um, and I'm just using standard uh, Magnus heads for now. I'm gonna I'm gonna try the the stone points at some point, but I'm kind of like you. I want to get a. I want to get one on the on the ground with a, a primitive bow, and and then I'll go to the stone point. But mm-hmm. baby steps, right? Baby steps, yeah. Uh, before we finish up, I just want to tell you guys how how much I enjoy the podcast, and I listen to it when I drive to Fort Pierce to do you know, the pig hunting and the Everglades, and I'm typically listening to your podcast and Jason's, and uh, it's funny because there are times I feel like even though we've never met, like I feel like we're friends and. I'll actually, t- this is embarrassing. I probably shouldn't say this, but I've actually, I've actually talked like to the podcast. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. right, Nick. Like, wait a minute. They can't hear me. Well, <laughs> it's recorded. Come on now. That's how good yeah, a job you, you guys do. I mean, that's how like, I feel like you're friends, even though we haven't met, you know? You can't, but you can't say that's right, Nick, very often. I mean. Uh, well, that, I meant to actually... say Steve. That's actually pretty funny, and and because the other day I caught myself doing that. I was listening to the show, and Steve was talking, and I had just it was re- it's really trippy when you podcast with somebody and you're used to hearing their voice, and then if you're chatting with them too. Well, I was chatting with them, and I was I I was sitting in the car just listening to the podcast before I was going into work, and I started talking to the podcast like he had asked me a question, <laughs> like I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, "What the hell am I doing?" You know, and I hung up the phone. I'm like, "All right, I gotta go in." You know, <laughs> you know, but that's happened more than once because it's just it's a weird deal, and uh, yeah, when you listen to people long enough, you know, even with like other shows and and other stuff I listen to, like you 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 kind of feel like there's a there's a connection with those people. Um, yes, which is which is so I totally understand what you're saying. And even before we started doing the show, it was the same with me. And whether it's a music podcast or whatever, like you start to, you know, you get to know the host, even though you don't know the host. And it's almost weird because if you like friend him on Facebook, you feel like you know him and you just like you might message him or something like that. Like, hey, how's it going? They don't know who you are. And <laughs> like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, really. you're like, hey. Didn't we just talk the other day? Oh, no, you were talking. I was listening. I was just listening. Yeah. But that's that's yeah. kind of a cool deal with podcasts, I think. Yeah. Driving back from uh, I was driving. I went up for a wedding and, of course, bow hunted in North, New York in October and then drove back to North Carolina and going through West Virginia, I was listening to the podcast, uh, Steve, that you did about the gear that you took to uh, Wyoming. Yep. With the, the magic underwear. <laughs> uh, I, I'm telling you what, Merino underwear is it's the ticket. Now, I'm just telling you, but go ahead. <laughs> no, that's it. That, that was it. I just thought that was, that was amazing. That the underwear sales from that company must have gone through the roof. That was amazing. Like. <laughs> Well, it uh, it's not one of those things. It's it's you know you're it feels awkward talking about 
that kind of thing, but it I would have never believed it if somebody told me it's just one of those things you have to you have to try it. But if you're gonna be out there for, you know, a full week and you don't have access to a shower, you, you need to be comfortable and, and I was. I was comfortable the whole week. So That's awesome. That probably wouldn't work in Florida though. I wool. I think you would be surprised. The merino wool is really? not hot. It's it's okay. it's uh, and I should say, you know, quality merino wool. It I wear it I mean, I wear it during the summer. I started wearing it here, um, you know, September, mid-September for deer hunting. I wore, I've, you know, I've worn it. Huh, and it's warm. Yeah, plenty warm in Georgia. It is. It's, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's very odd. And even the, even the, the shirts, you know, a lot of times when I was going out and doing scouting in, in late July and August, I was wearing a merino short sleeve shirt. And it's, it's just not what you expect wool to be. It's, hmm. it's, it's different. But uh, yeah, I get a. Yeah, same as look uh, into that. merino socks too. You would think I used to think that merino socks would be way too hot to wear during the, the, the summer, but they're they're so much better than cotton, which gets wet and just starts. You know, it's yeah, got cotton's that, the worst. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it just yeah. This stuff's just like Steve says. It's just magic. I, I um, use wool like for outer layers a lot, but uh, yeah, I hadn't worn them as under layers. But yeah, it's that's good to know. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to talk about underwear. In fact, we could maybe we should partner with a merino wool underwear company. If anybody's listening, absolutely. I've pretty much decided there's not anything taboo for Nick to talk about. Uh, (laughs) At at this point, I've known him long enough. If he ever says that's just a subject I'm not comfortable talking about, I think I I I won't know what to say. It'd have to be really bad. It, it, yeah, there's a few things I could bring up, but we try to keep the podcast clean, so I'll we'll yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. it. Well, you got to you got to keep it light. You got to keep it light. But I, it's just you, Southern guys are too polite. That's why <laughs> you, know, you got those table manners. We're we're just grungy Northern people. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a good way to put it, Nick. Because you, yeah, you don't. You your table manners. <laughs> are a, are a convers a topic of conversation around my house quite often, actually. So. Yeah, I, I typically take it to the I take it to the next level myself quite often, but we don't need to get into that here. Well, y'all were talking about listening to the podcast, and I think Nick was I think it was Nick I was talking to on Facebook today. I by the time uh, I actually get a podcast edited and ready to release, I don't care if I ever listen to it again. So I'll bet. You know, yeah, I I listen. I mean, there's podcasts that I listen to, but as far as listening to this podcast, I by the time it actually goes live, I've I've listened to it at least three or four times. I'm just I'm mm-hmm. over it. I don't <laughs> I don't care if I ever hear that episode again. But I hear uh, you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I hate to hear myself talk too, so it's hard for me to go back and listen to them again too. My my kids always say, "Well, put your put your podcast on, Dad. We want to hear you on the radio." And I'm like, "Oh God, here we go. I got to listen to this whole thing <laughs> yeah, again." Yeah, the same way. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird to hear. It took me a long time to get used to that. A long time. Mm-hmm. But I'm like Steve. Like once it's done, I'm like, "It's out. It's out, man." Like unless I'm freaked out about a part, then I'll go back and listen to it and say, "Okay, I didn't sound like a moron that time, as bad as I thought." But well, most time that, when yeah. you sound like a moron, I, I I go in and edit it out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you make me look good. You <laughs> do a, lot do a better editing. job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny when you go back and listen to it. There is there is a lot of things that you can actually clean up. We're getting way off topic here, but uh, yeah. you know, a, a lot of t- my my bad thing is when I'm trying to think of what I want to say, I'll stammer and stutter 
better. And I may say like the same word, like, you know, the, 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 you know, I, I do that kind of thing and I can go in and clean that up a lot of times. And it's funny with Tom, when Tom's on, he is so, he doesn't do anything. Yeah. He's, that's it. Very good word. Calculating. He's calculating. So if, if he doesn't know exactly what he wants to say, he just won't say anything. So then you end up with these five second gaps and you, you know, I can go in and clean that up. So it, it takes a little bit of time, but like I said, by the time I'm, by the time I'm ready to release it, I don't ever want to listen to it again. So I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've added pressure because my dad was a radio announcer, so I hate my recorded voice, like hearing it. But he he had these golden pipes, you know. So it's like a, what a legacy they have to live up to. But uh, yeah, that's that's why I'm an art teacher, not and a guide, and not a radio announcer. Well, I think you've I think you've sounded very good tonight, Jim. We uh, oh, yeah. thanks, Steve. We probably need to to start wrapping this up, but I I do want to ask you. So you're back in. You're back in Florida now. Yes. And you'll will you stay there until spring or how how do you I do have that? some yeah, I have some uh some fishing trips in the spring in Carolina already scheduled. Oh, okay. So I'll be tra- taking guys out trout fishing in the spring and uh and then uh you know summer it just depends it really just depends where people want to fish. If they want to fish there, I'm I'll get in the car and drive there and I can be there in a day and fish there if they want to fish in florida that's always good it's real close for me of course i got you uh but yep yeah, i'm i'm flexible and i have the time now so wherever anyone wants to do that it's, i'm good good to go well we were we were talking about the rods and the fiberglass rods and so forth and i uh, i can't help it i've, I've gotten the word that he's just such a nice guy you know if you haven't listened to the episode that we did with uh scott spray if you ever decide you want to get you another fiberglass rod, reach out to him because two of the ones that I've got. I did listen to that. Did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two the two two weights that I've got came from him, um, and I've actually got him working on a uh, three weight now that he it, he showed he put a picture on it of it online the other day, and it's a it's like a neon blue rod, and he's actually already created the real seat out of a, a swirled. Uh, neon blue to match it acrylic and this thing i can't wait to see the finished product because it already in fact the picture he posted of it it's a blue halo blank mm-hmm. and he posted a picture of it with the real seat that he'd put together and it's not even finished yet it was just laying there together and and blue halo actually started reposting it everywhere i mean it, it is a sweet looking rig nice that sounds awesome I'm I'm intrigued by bamboo rods too, so yeah. that's kind of like my other. I think I'm heading down that road soon for trout, but I I do love the the fiberglass and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look him up for sure. Well, it's just keep the. I don't care how much you like that that bamboo, keep that to yourself because I don't need to go start buying another set of rods now. So, <laughs> uh, I hear you. Talk yeah. talk just talk, one, talk Nick. Just into one that. more thing. Yeah, talk Nick into that. <laughs> no, me. don't talk me into that. <laughs> no. No, I, I, I can't wait to get Nick hooked on black powder. That's my next goal. So I figure I'm gonna give oh, him, yeah. I'm gonna give him till about spring, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna start really pushing the the buttons on black powder. That's so much fun. His wife yep, his wife's it. gonna love me. I mean, she really is. Well, I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna do that this year, and then I just ran out of time. I mean, I know we're starting the muzzle loaded season season, but I haven't even shot a black powder gun, so there's no way I'm rolling out and doing that right now. But my dad keeps saying, "I, I got the CBA side lock. I, you know, you should take that." And I'm like, "Yeah." And you'll want me to get some, build some kit and 
you know, go the whole the whole spiel like I need to do that now. Well, anything worth doing, <laughs> Nick, hobby. is worth doing right. I mean, oh, here we go. It's yeah, the experience. It's the experience. It is. That's that's what we've always said. It's the experience. Well, that's, that's how you got me with fly fishing, and now I'm I got to do that. So. Yeah, I think and a bow bow building is going to be my next thing. I think you know building self bows, and it's just I got a good mentor, you know, good teacher with Ryan. So uh, I'm going to pick his brain on that, but I'm not quite there yet. Well, nobody's twisting Nick's arm. Don't don't let him no, fool you. Self bow building's fun, man. Self bow building is is it, it's it's a it's a definitely a it's a time it's a time suck. But yeah. it's, it's worth it, and I mean, the more you do it, the better and quicker you get at it. So, and you gotta, you'd have a great teacher in Ryan. I mean, few people have that kind of teacher around, but that's just one of those things. I started, and I was like, you know, I just, I can't have the, all this stuff. I, I want to shoot and I want to hunt, and I got a lot of doing that before I can get into building. So, but yep, yeah, you should do that, you. man. I, you're gonna, you'll have a blast, and we'll, and we'll follow up with you when, if you ever do, you know. Well, the advantage is, you know, I can get a bow built and then hunt with it, you know, the next day if I wanted to, because this, with these pigs open year round, you know, I yep. can, yes, it's just spoiled here with the, the pig hunting. So yep. yeah. I'm actually looking forward to doing a little pig hunt myself once, uh, once deer season lines up. I can't, there are, there are creatures of opportunity as long as it's deer season, but, uh, I hear you. Yeah. That makes sense. I am looking forward to it. Well, Jim, I think we, we need to wrap this thing up. We kept, yeah, you, yeah. we kept you tied up long enough. It's been a, a blast having a conversation with you. Finally, I feel like I've, I've talked to you for years on Facebook and never really got yeah. a chance to speak <laughs> to you. So this has yeah, been a lot been of fun. fun. Yep. For sure. Enjoyed it. Well, Nick, thank you for being my, my Mr. Excitement tonight. Thank you, and again, honored to be, honored to finally talk to you, Jim. Appreciate yep. it. Yeah, same same here, guys. And Nick, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Happy St. Nicholas Day. I think tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe it's today. No, it's today. Is it today right now? Yeah, it is. So I appreciate it. Yep. All right. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for okay. listening, everyone. Take Later. care.